This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Hey, welcome to this community. I'm Jenny Allen, and we're so glad you're here. And thanks for being a part of this story with us of what God's done here. It's absolutely one of my favorite things that I get to do is hosting this podcast. And and this season, we're so excited. We're going to talk about the hard emotions that a lot of us are facing in this very chaotic time. We're going to take the next 10 weeks and we're going to talk about shame, deep sadness and irritation, bitterness, isolation, all these things that, yeah, I'm smiling while I say them because they're a little bit sad and hard. But honestly, we want to be practical. We want to look at these issues and say, what does God have to say about them? And who are some of the leading experts on these discussions to help us give us some practical handles to not just survive the season of COVID and the election and all of the difficulties that we're facing in this time with racism and and division, but to thrive during it and to really see God move his kingdom forward through us. That's my dream for this. We're so excited you're here. So get your Bibles. Let's go. Hebrews 6, 19-20 We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. Today we're going to talk about shame, and I'm excited about this one, and here's why, because I think this one lays under almost every negative emotion that we feel. Now, most of you probably would say to yourselves, you know what? I don't feel that much shame. I don't know what you're talking about. Zach and I were talking about this yesterday because I'm writing about this with relationships and the relational issues that we face in our day largely are impacted by this word shame. And I see it as such an enemy to our relationship with God, as such an enemy to our relationships with others. I see it in women's eyes all the time when I'm ministering out in the world, when I'm traveling and speaking and women come up to me, I see it almost the second they walk up. I can, they, they don't make eye contact. There is something that they want to share with me that is so heavy that they are so ashamed about. And so this is such an enemy. I was thinking yesterday about, about this word and I was thinking that sin is the greatest enemy of mankind, except that God built a way for us to reconcile our sin. But shame is even a worse enemy because shame is the thing that keeps us from reconciling our sin to God. So yes, sin is the greatest problem of mankind, but God made a way for that sin to be reconciled. But because of shame, we don't accept that reconciliation. It really is to me the greatest barrier we have when it comes to healthy relationships with God and with other people. So let's talk about it. What is shame? And how do we diagnose it so that we know that that's the enemy, not some other emotion that we're placing on top of it or that we feel because of the shame that we feel. So I'm going to pull this up from my biblical dictionary here. Shame is a consequence of sin. Feelings of guilt and shame are subjective acknowledgments of an objective spiritual reality. They're, they're feeling about something that is real. That's what, what he's saying is, is that there is a feeling of shame about a reality that is sin. And though related to guilt, shame emphasizes sin's effect on self-identity. 
See, shame is something so deep. It's something that is rooted in your identity. It's something that is hard to shake. It's something that that is not just a feeling. It's it's somehow bound and wound its way into who we are and how we relate to our world and our people and our God. And you see that shame in Genesis 1. You see it the second they fall, they run and they hide. It now has occurred to them that they don't belong with God. That there is a separation between the holiness and goodness and rightness of God and the wrongness and the sin that now is in them. They feel it. It's not something that had to be taught to them. They felt it. The minute Adam and Eve sinned, they felt shame. They felt it in their bones. And so they hid and they ran from God. And so shame really is the first enemy. I mean, sin is the behavior and what they did, but shame is the first enemy that's separating them from God. Because what does God do? God knows they've sinned. God still goes after them. He calls to them. He says, where are you? He wants to restore that relationship. He wants to bring them back and he wants to deal with it. He wants to help them with it. And and it's so beautiful what he does. They cover themselves with fig leaves. He goes and kills an animal, which is the first picture of what the gospel will be. And he covers them with the, the death of that animal. He covers them with the, the fur, gives them a better covering, right? He, he's going to do it better. Man tries to cover it with religion and with good works and with righteousness and, and with little fig leaves. And it doesn't work. And, and God covers it with the blood of of an animal and does the better way that will ultimately heal them. And he shows a picture, not that the blood of animals was enough, Hebrews talks about, but the blood of animals was the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and the blood that would ultimately forgive our sin and wash it away. Now, some of you are hearing that for the first time and you're like, well, this is really gory for a little podcast on shame. Yeah, this is really gory. And this is why, because shame is violently affecting you. Like robbing you of joy, robbing you of peace, robbing you of relationship with God. It is such an enemy. <laughs> it, is, it is literally affecting everything about you. And so you've got to understand where it comes from. And you can't understand where it comes from unless you understand sin, unless you understand the fall, unless you understand God's better way that he's built our way out of it. Guys, the reality, the spiritual objective reality is that we are sinners. And so of course we feel shame. Every single one for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's true. It's just what is. It's the objective reality. Now, the other objective reality is that Jesus Christ paid the payment for sins. So that could be reconciled and not just reconciled, but that we would wear the righteousness of Christ, that we would wear the righteousness of Christ and that that sin would be covered by something competent and complete that that sin would be covered by the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice that would pay for the sins of the world. And that is the gospel. We have this sure, this is Hebrews 6, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters to the inner place behind the curtain of division where Jesus has gone as the forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, that we are no longer divided by the curtain that, that, and the curtain that he's talking about here is the curtain that separated God from people. And the priest would go in to offer the sacrifices in the Holy of Holies where God dwelled. He would go in, this is Old Testament, he would go in, he would sacrifice the blood and he may or may not come out. And, and they tied a rope to his foot because in the presence of God, sinners die because of his justice. And we want a God that's just. And so that curtain 
poor. The night that Jesus, oh, such a sermon illustration. He like reaches down from heaven. He takes the curtain that has separated the Holy of Holies from all the people and he tears it because no longer are people, his people separated from him. They can be in relationship because the righteousness of Christ has been placed on them for those who have believed in Jesus Christ. So now let me tell you, I know this is getting deep theologically, but hang on. I I try to make this as simple as I can, but you've got to understand this theological reality because you can't fight what you don't understand. The new objective reality for those of you that believe in Jesus Christ, that have trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, that have put your hope in him. The new objective reality is there is therefore, Romans 8, 1, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is your new reality. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to feel shame. You actually can deal with it. It doesn't have to haunt you for the rest of your life. It doesn't have to define your decisions, your relationships, your your encounters with God. I remember, and I've told you all this before, that I, I used to read my college journals. And, and whenever I pick them up, it's this reality check of like, I was living under a lot of shame in college because every single entry starts with, I'm just so sorry that I haven't met with you in a while. I just, I, I entered my relationship, my prayer life every single time with God with shame. I just felt guilty and I felt bad from the moment I sat down. And now that I have kids, I look back at that and I'm like, oh my gosh, what an idiot. Because every single time my kids, you know, right now, Kate just left for college. And if a few days go by and we both get busy and we don't talk and she calls me, she might say, hey, I'm sorry I haven't called in a while, but really, I don't care. I just want her to dive in and start talking and tell me what's going on because I've just missed her. We're good. I'm not mad at her because she hasn't called. I'm curious what's going on in her life, and I can't wait till she just gets to talking and telling me everything that's happening. That's how God is with us. There's not some shame barrier any longer between us and God. There is a relationship where he loves us and he wants us back. The power of those that felt ashamed in the Bible is that they would repent and come back. They would turn back. You look at David's life. He messed up violently again and again and again, and he would feel shame, but he would always turn back to truth and he would always turn back to God. And that's got to be our posture. So what are some of the signs that we might be living in shame? Some of the signs that I see in people and myself is when I am super sensitive about things. When someone brings to me like, or they seem like they're mad at me, or they seem like something's wrong, or maybe they bring to me an offense and I just crumble. You know, I'm just, when I'm healthy, what it looks like is someone can bring to me offense and I'm like, you know what? I screwed up. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm standing from a place of health, not from a place of complete insecurity, feeling so beat up and bad about myself, right? So when someone brings me wrong, which I inevitably will do, but I'm not defined by that wrong. I can apologize for it. I can seek to reconcile it. I can say, what can I do to make this right? But I don't, it doesn't ruin my week, my day, my month. It it just is like, yes, I mess up. I'm not surprised I messed up. I want to make that right. I don't want to, I don't want you to be affected by my mess up. So how do I make it right? There's still a desire to seek reconciliation. It's not passive, but it doesn't just completely crumble me for a week if somebody's disappointed in me or unhappy with me, right? Another way that I see shame in my own life is if I am not praying, if I am not communicating with God, then I'm probably feeling guilty about something. Like there's just a general sense of feeling like a fraud, of feeling like not wanting to go to God because I feel, you know, just blah. I think another sign of shame is that I am fearful. 
So I'm not at peace with God or myself. So when fear and anxiety is just kind of ruling the day, I look underneath that and I usually can find some sense of just, I don't trust myself. I don't feel good about myself and I don't feel good about God's ability to take care of me, right? Because if I don't believe in God's ability to take care of the future, how am I believing in God's ability for this new reality that is to cover my sins, right? It's just a general distrust in God. Therefore, I pick up my shame because I'm on my own and I'm incapable or incompetent. Honestly, another way I see shame is pride. So when I'm acting super confident about everything and when I'm acting like I have it all together and when I'm not in touch with my sadness or any other feeling that I might be having, that is likely a result of shame as well because I'm kind of coping and covering up what might deep down be in my bones, fear of myself and doubt about my worth and identity. So those are a few ways I personally see it in my own life. All of us are a little bit different, but I think those are somewhat human responses to shame. It's fear, it's pride, it is insecurity. And I think all of those can track back to shame. Now you're gonna have to do that work and go, okay, what am I ashamed of? And what am I not believing about God, right? That's that's ultimately the question is, what do I not believe about God? Maybe you believe it about God for other people, but you're not believing it about God for yourself. And how can I do that in a bigger way? How can I believe God in a bigger way? So this is from Desiring God. Because sin is alive in our bodies, Romans 7, 23, and because we are beset with weakness, Hebrews 5, 2, the kind of shame we often experience is a potent combination of failure and pride. We fail morally, we sin. We fail due to our limitations or weaknesses, and we fail because the creation is subject to futility and doesn't work right. It's just all broken, right? That's Romans 8.20. We also fail to live up to other people's expectations of us. And because we are full of sinful pride, we are ashamed of our failures and weaknesses and will go to almost any length to hide them from others. This means pride-fueled shame can wield great power over us. It controls significant parts of our lives and consumes precious energy and time in avoiding exposure. So let me say this simply. Number one, let me tell you the greatest way to fight shame is to live aware of your weakness and to live aware of your sin. And number two, to live aware of the endless grace of our God that covers it all. When you are fully in touch with how weak you are and what a sinner you are, and also and equally fully in touch with the power of God to make sinners right and the grace of God to cover those sins, that is a free person. That is a person no longer bound by shame. That is a person that can dangerously go live out the callings and the mission of God in her life. Those are my favorite people to be with too because I can say anything because they know there is no condemnation because they're in touch with their own sins and they also are going to give back to me the love of God. May we be those people and may we disciple and, and make those people on earth because that is how the world changes is people truly free of shame. They're foreign. They're amazing. They look totally different. They live totally different, and they're contagious. I want to pray for you guys because this is such a big one. This is so spiritual. The enemy does not want you to be free from this. God, you are powerful enough to cover our greatest weakness. It is a truth I want to never get over. You are gracious enough to pay for that yourself in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And God, if there's anybody listening that that has never trusted Jesus, God, would this be the day they do it? Would they just right now, wherever they are, in their car, walking, kitchen sink, wherever they are, God, I pray that they would pray these words. 
and experience that grace that you give in such a powerful way. Jesus, I need a savior. I am a sinner. I believe you are that savior, that you died for my sins, and I thank you for it. And Jesus, I pray that you would would enter my life and change it, that you would show me what this confidence could be, this hope. Would you take away my sin? And would I believe in your power to do so? Thank you that, that you defeated sin and that you defeated death, that you rose from the grave on the third day. Thank you that you are seated beside the Father now and that you intercede for me and that I can pray these prayers and they get to you because of the work that you've done. The curtain is torn and my sins are forgiven. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we want to hear about it. So email us at info at JennyAllen.com, J-E-N-N-I-E-A-L-L-E-N.com. And let us know. We are so grateful for you guys. And we are praying for you guys in this crazy, wild season. Every year, we usually release a guide that you all love. I mean, love. Like, I can't even believe how many of you have downloaded this guide. It's called the Dream Guide, and it's usually released in the beginning of the year, the end of the last year. And this year, we thought, you need something now, and you need something special. So we built you a new tool, and it's called the Life Inventory that would hopefully help you analyze, like, okay, what's different about my life than I expected, but what's possible, too? So it's hard to dream right now, I know. And this guide is hopefully gonna help you slow down and grieve what was, celebrate what is, and dream about what could be. So go download it at JennyAllen, J-E-N-N-I-E-A-L-L-E-N.com. We got all kinds of things there for you. In fact, we have conversation cards that you can Zoom with friends and family. So again, go to JennyAllen, J-E-N-N-I-E-A-L-L-E-N.com and hopefully you'll find something awesome you can download. For sure, get this life inventory. Hopefully it's super helpful to you right now. So again, go to JennyAllen, my website, J-E-N-N-I-E-A-L-L-E-N.com. Hey, 